Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Redeeming Sexuality, this series is important because the world is screaming. You know, they're on a a blowhorn concerning uh, what is right, what is wrong. The, uh, The world constantly is bombarding us with messages about sexuality, and it's not only okay, it's, it's absolutely necessary for the church to also speak into the subject. Of course, we don't do it every week, but it's something that we want to touch on uh, regularly because there's so much, uh, there's, the volume is so high in our culture, especially right now, and especially on the issue of homosexuality, which I'm going to be addressing today. Um, Anthony uh, read a book, big 500-page uh, textbook on homosexuality in the Bible, and uh, in the bulletin there's this little attachment that has a link to uh, seven videos where the author of that book gives a very uh, in-depth uh, discussion about uh, a biblical stance toward homosexuality in and, and, and a much more thorough way than I'm going to today. Uh, gives us um, the, the responses, the answers to the uh, statements that some people claim that the Bible is okay with homosexual practices. So we're going we're gonna to jump into this <coughs> conversation, and um, I'm talking about homosexuality and gender. Obviously, I don't know what it feels like to be homosexual, right? Okay, so I struggle with a lot of sins. How about you? Uh, I struggle with a lot of behaviors that may not be, that may be contradictory to Scripture. I do have to confess, I have a hard time understanding this. I do not have a hard time feeling empathy uh, and compassion for people who are struggling with this uh, uh, issue in their life. Just like I've never been addicted to drugs. Uh, and uh, but I can have compassion, and I've worked with a lot of people who are really addicted, and I'm like, wow, even though I don't understand it, I can have compassion, and I can actually have advice and input into the situation. And there's just countless situations that I may not experience myself, but that doesn't mean that I can't speak into it. But I need to speak into it from the perspective, from a place of compassion first. You know, Jesus dealt with every issue compassion first. And of course, I want to try to do that uh, um, today. And of course, we won't uh, be able to answer everything concerning this issue because I only have uh, an hour or two. Uh (laughs) But the goal is to present some ideas, some scriptures, and talk about some of the common claims that the LGBT or the gay, I'm just going to say gay lifestyle because it's easier, um, and a Bible-based response. If I were sitting here talking to a group or an individual that was uh, in lifestyle or an advocate of that lifestyle, I would talk completely differently, okay? So the purpose of this talk is to educate you concerning what uh, we as a church and this church views as the biblical stance uh, toward homosexual practices and behavior, so that you understand what the Bible teaches, so that you can then uh, respond when opportunity comes, or when, you know, listen, you should be struggling with this idea, all right? You should have to struggle through it. 
It should not be an easy answer. Right? It's okay to struggle and go, is, does the Bible really say that? How could the Bible say it? How could someone that I love and care for, a friend or a, a, a loved one, a family member, be in a lifestyle that, that, according to how I understand Scripture, is totally contrary? How can I deal with that's good. That's a good struggle. And in fact, if you just write it off without going through the struggle, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not going to be able to really answer and speak into that issue. Does that make sense? Just saying the Bible says so is never a good enough argument. All right? Let me tell you why. Because it's, 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 it's not loving. It's, it's not taking into consideration the whole person. And it's not representing the Bible correctly. Okay? Well, the Bible doesn't say behave because the Bible said so. All right? The Bible is a record of people's experience with a living God. And that relationship with that living God invites them, demands them, calls them into a different lifestyle. All right? So we do need to know what the Bible says, but we also need to know why the Bible says it. Okay? And the why is more, much, much more important than the what. And if you have the why, if you understand the reasoning behind it, it's a loving, compassionate God, uh, then you can have a much more effective witness in sharing it. So the Bible talks a lot about sex. Did you, it does. Right from the beginning, the first commandment of the Bible is not... Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. No, it's not uh, thou shalt not have any other gods before you. That's not the first commandment. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is have sex. It's right in Genesis. He said, uh, be fruitful and multiply. He was talking to this naked guy and his naked wife in paradise. He said, hey, guys, go make babies. You know, uh, come on. Uh, that's a good commandment. <laughs> and then all through Scripture, God talks about sex all the time. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. And He does because he care, God cares about sex because He cares about us. And sexuality is a big part of the human experience. Okay? He cares. He cares deeply. And that's why He, he talks about it a lot. <clears throat> so in a raging debate, wisdom is calm and settled. What I mean by that is, we are in the midst of a raging debate in our culture concerning sexuality of every form and especially concerning the whole issue of homosexuality, uh, gender issues, all of that. It's this raging, raging, raging debate. And I believe that when, when people are shouting, wisdom speaks calmly. All right? And what I mean by that is, Christians, stop shouting. You're not going to win the argument. You're actually just going to lose more people. All right? It's not a, how, who shouts the loudest, who can picket the biggest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who can, who, what you write on Facebook. You got to be careful. Um, and frankly, uh, the, you know, I applaud those who uh, are called to and, and actively are agents of change within the government, within society. But when it gets right down to it, the biblical message is that change happens one by one when a person encounters Jesus Christ and commits their life. 
and, and, uh, uh, and so that's our ultimate goal. So yeah, we, 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 we continue to fight for the social, and for our, uh, our country, for the laws of our country, but we understand that the real battle, it goes deeper than that. Does that make sense? <coughs> All right. One huge issue is that the claim um, uh, that science has settled this question. And so we hear constantly in um, people who are proponents for the gay lifestyle and gender issues that, hey, this is a done deal. It's not even an argument. Every, every medical resource, every research, just, they just say that. And in actuality, there is virtually no evidence of a medical or psychological um, proof that homosexual behavior or even um, homosexual desires or gender issues, it's not a done deal. It's not settled. Yes, there's evidence that uh, uh, physiology, genetics are involved because they're involved in everything. <laughs> All right? But it's not settled. And this little video just gives you a perspective of the psychological uh, aspects. These are two psychologists and epidemiologists, and uh, they get a lot of degrees. And just to let you know, they, it is a conservative from a conservative point of view, but it's not necessarily a Christian point of view. In fact, the younger guy in this video, frequently a big part of his job is uh, defending the uh, gay community in court cases. So he is an expert witness that is called on to actually defend their point of view so that their, their uh, legal rights are protected. But this video is talking about the psychology and the science. Go ahead and uh, uh, play that video.
All right, well, there's two experts in the area of psychology that uh, say that, hey, listen, the science is not settled on this. Uh, there isn't, the, the only consensus is that there's not a consensus. And so we need to understand that. And when people say that it's a settled deal, realize, well, they're just uninformed, you know? And we don't get upset, but they are uninformed. It's, it's really, when you get down to it, it's not a settled deal. Scientifically, another thing is, um, you know, scientists disagree about this. Christians disagree about this. Christians disagree. Can you imagine? You know, it's like we we're in agreement about everything else. All right, Christians don't agree on hardly anything. Right, so uh, it's no surprise that there are some people that are Christian that are that are solidly Christian, and they have differing opinions. So maybe you disagree with how I'm going to present and how we're presenting the answer to this issue, and that's okay. All right? uh, sometimes I don't even agree with myself. All right? <clears throat> but uh, it's okay uh, to struggle through that, and it's okay to disagree. And the issue that I want to point to is uh, you know, what is right and wrong, and that science doesn't answer that question. Right? Science is not intended to answer the question of right and wrong. If science is ever used to answer a morality question, they're misusing science. All right? Um, and law, legality, the law does not answer morality. Now, yes, we want our laws to be based on morality. I would hope so. You don't want immoral laws. But we do not define our morality based on the law. So just because the law says it's okay uh, to have an abortion, uh, we have still are uh, bound to make a decision. Or the law says it's okay, and now in, in some states, to, to get stoned on marijuana. Well, that means it's moral. It's automatically moral if it's, if it's illegal. Well, no, because you know what? In most states, uh, and certainly it's never been enforced, I don't think, in any state, adultery is legal. There's no law against having... You know, as long as there's two consenting adults, does that make it moral? No, of course not. And so laws is not the basis of morality. Paul actually addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, he may be talking about uh, the, the Old Testament covenant law or the law of Christ. In other words, the New Testament understanding of a law. I actually think he, he's likely talking about civil law in this context, but uh, regardless of how you interpret it, Paul says, or the Bible says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Right? And so the, whether it's acceptable in a legal sense is not really the issue. Uh, and if we uh, use that as an argument, we are actually um, shortchanging ourselves. And then he goes on and makes a very interesting comparison. He says, food for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. In that sentence, what's he talking about? Food! Very good! Okay, nobody from the front row can answer. <laughs> very good! <laughs> Mark! <laughs> nobody from the front row or on staff at the church. Or married to me. 
<laughs> All right, so he's talking about food and eating, right? And then he changes topics, and he comp- so maybe he's comparing that to this. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In that sentence, what is he talking about? Sex. Sex. All right. And so he's making a comparison between uh, our natural appetites, between the appetite for foods and the food for stomach. And, and I think he's actually drawing a parallel between the dietary laws of the Old Covenant and how they illustrate moral truths. All right. Well, we, that's a whole other discussion that kind of goes deeper. Um, <clears throat> but the point is, is that you don't come under uh, bondage to anything. Uh, and the body is not for sexuality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We're going to talk more about that later. You get to choose the basis for your morality. Did you, did you know that? You choose it. You choose it every day. <laughs> And, it's, and your choice is demonstrated by your actions, not your words, in part by your words, but really by your actions. And so you choose the basis for your morality, choose well, uh, and in, even in your choice, are you able to live to your own standard when you say, I'm not going to do that anymore because it's wrong, and then you end up doing it again? You can't even live up to your own standard. I can't live up to my own standard. What makes me think that I should have the authority or the ability to come up with a standard if I can't even live up to my own standard? How can I set the standard for the whole world? All right? So I'm like, okay, not only uh, can I keep my standard, I'm not even going to try to make my standard. I'm going to choose the standard that God's given us, which is described in the Scripture, okay, and in the lives of, uh, that is depicted throughout Scripture. And so this is why, uh, and, and you get to choose, everybody gets to make that choice, but then you get to deal with the consequences of that choice. Another underlying or presumption that we have to understand is that we come into this discussion, discussion of sexuality, we're all broken, okay? Most people don't know that uh, 50%, half of marriages um, in America, and that's a conservative estimate, uh, suffer infidelity. That means one or both of the uh, uh, members of the marriage have had an affair uh, in the course of a marriage. 50% minimum, all right? Uh, Wow, that's pretty intense. Um, And then we already know that of new marriages, 50%, uh, and then divorce. (coughs) And uh, often in the midst of divorce, there's an affair. Uh, and so there's a lot of stuff going on that's not biblical and not God's ideal, right? Well, how about this? Uh, what percent of, of, of us, of anyone, the human population, could say that they're 100% pure? Jesus said if we uh, lust, if we look at a person of any gender <laughs> and, and lust for them in a sexual way, if we're not married to them, we've committed adultery in our heart. Well, I'm completely guilty of that. I don't know about you. I do know about you. (laughs) Right? It doesn't take a psychologist to know a little bit about human behavior. This is pretty basic human behavior. Come on. Who can say they're 100%? You know, who can say that they, you know, we're all, we've all committed this sin. And so whether or not it looks like homosexual behavior in your life or inappropriate, immoral, uh, heterosexual behavior really doesn't matter before God. We're all equal, okay? 
Oh, that's just what the Bible says. We're, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And God's glory is, is the standard or what we, were, what we were really created to live like, His children. The identity that he, he created us with, the identity that he, he imparted to us in, in our conception and our birth and, and the ideal that he, he called us into. We've all fallen short of that. <clears throat> so we cannot, we being Christians, me as an individual, you as an in, I don't think any individual uh, can, can come into this discussion or any discussion concerning morality with a condemning attitude or tone. Okay, we cannot condemn anyone, but we have to stand side by side with them and say we are equally condemned. Equally condemned, but redeemed. All right, and we offer that redemption to whomever receives. Okay, it's a free gift. We were fortunate enough to lay hold of it. And so we offer it. We don't force it on people, but we offer it. The question that we need to ask is, can someone be made whole? Can we, uh, whether it be heterosexual, homosexual uh, practices or desires, can we uh, attain to that standard, that glory of God? And so what I want to do is address some of the common statements that are made by proponents of the homosexual agenda and also just, you know what, honest questions, listen, honest questions that you should be struggling with that Christians are struggling with, um, because, you know, it's, it's very, very relevant in our day, and it's, it's something that we have to grapple with. So the idea, Jesus never mentioned homosexuality, <coughs> and um, that's actually true, in one sense. He never specifically addressed the issue of homosexuality, and I'll tell you why. Because <coughs> Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, he ministered his entire life within a very small region, right? He went to Galilee. Was it 20, 30 miles from Jerusalem? I forget what it is. It's not very far. You can walk there. But he, in fact, he did. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't take the bus. No, sorry. So Jesus was a Jewish rabbi speaking to a, in a Jewish culture. Now listen, in the Jewish nation, which Jesus was ministering to, every boy... Not every girl, but every boy, some of the girls, but every boy was required to memorize Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. The first five books of the Bible memorized. And you could say, how is that possible? Well, listen, my kids memorize every word to every Disney movie. Right? <laughs> they did. Constantly. Yeah, poke, yeah, they go on and on about this Pokemon, that Pokemon, that Pokemon, all the powers, and they know everything about them. I'm like, wow. You know? And so we, we, children actually have the capacity to memorize. That's why they can learn language so easy. Okay? And so the Jewish educational system took advantage of that and taught them the, the law. And so when Jesus was talking, everybody in the audience, just about everyone, knew all of the laws verbatim. Okay? And even those who weren't uh, Jewish, because they were in that culture, the, the Jewish nation was completely saturated with that eth ethos, okay? That, uh, so they all agreed on what defined right and wrong. And in fact, he affirmed, there were some things that they disagreed on, and in those things, he willingly and, and very aptly 
uh, addressed anything that was being debated. Anthony did a great job at the Vine service. You can listen to that sermon online. <coughs> and he kind of picks that and, uh, apart and gives some examples. He, Jesus affirmed the laws of the Old Covenant and, in fact, expanded them. He talks about this in Matthew chapter 5. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until the uh, purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you obey God's laws, and when he says that, he's talking about Leviticus, right? And Deuteronomy and all of the laws of the Old Covenant, uh, 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 and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the better that he explains in this whole, the whole context of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount is that there has to be obedience from the heart and not just outward com confirmation to legal requirements, but it has to be motivated from an inward desire of, uh, uh, of re uh, in response to relationship, right? And so J Jesus takes things like, you know, it says you, you can't murder, but I'm, I say to you, you can't even hate. Ooh, you know, it says don't commit adultery, but if you, if you look at a person in the lust of them, whoa, so the standard is much higher. Never does Jesus go lower to the standard of, of the Bible. And to yank Jesus' words and his life out of that cultural, historical, and even if you just look at him as a literary figure, that, that it, even if you don't believe in a, in a historic Jesus and you just think the Bible is a, a book written, to depict, it, it's, it's a violation of literal, literary context and a literary intelligence to yank him out of that context. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, because that's, how, that's where he was speaking. And so uh, we, we can't just rip that out and, and shove him into a different context. He knew what he was saying, and what he said uh, uh, had meaning, and, and it was understood very easily uh, to the people that he was speaking to. Every time, then, that Jesus mentions sexual sin in any form, because there's a general term, ponia, uh, 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 that refers to sexual sin, it is all of the sexual sins that are defined in the Old Testament. And so every time Jesus speaks about sexuality, he is actually talking about homosexuality as well as all of the other forms. And certainly, um, every time Jesus uh, mentions sin in the general sense, uh, it includes, you know, how does he define sin? Well, he didn't have to define sin because he affirmed the writing of the Old Testament. And every time, he said, this is it. Okay? He said, I'm going to come along to teach you how to fulfill it, how to keep it. And through him, we can actually keep the law. <clears throat> and so Jesus did refer to homosexuality every time he speaks of sin, and certainly every time he speaks of sexual sin. Um, now... <clears throat> Some people say, well, Leviticus no longer applies because that was just written so long ago to a culture that has no uh, 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 relevance to our culture today. And you really need to read Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus 20 because it is the, uh, the moral law that addresses homosexuality in the Old Testament. 
I am not going to take the time to read both of those chapters. Um, if you haven't read them, read them. They're very interesting. Some of the most interesting parts of the Bible. <laughs> okay. Um, and so uh, you want to take time to read them, but I'm going to read um, ver- a couple of verses. Uh, so these are, these are the chapters. Now, some people get upset if you're talking about an issue and you actually turn to the verses in the Bible that address that issue. You know, and they say, well, the Bible mostly talks about love, so let's talk about love. I'm like, great, great. If I was preaching a sermon on love, I'd be talking about love. But the Bible, if we're going to be talking about homosexuality, let's turn to the verses where the Bible talks about homosexuality. Okay? Is that right? That's okay. So there are many places, actually, it talks about it, and you can't just write them off because the Bible talks a lot more about another subject. Um, And in verse 22 of chapter 18, it says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Hmm. Seems pretty straightforward. How about uh, Leviticus 20, 13? If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, you can say, well, that no longer applies, but then, to be fair, you would have to say that all of the practices that this chapter addresses no longer apply, because this is just one in a list, two chapters long, of practices, and so half of chapter 18 is about incest. That's having sex with family members, children, uh, siblings, parents, okay? So if you're going to say homosexuality doesn't apply, then you have to say, well, incest is okay too. And then, and then uh, lots of different forms of adultery, uh, child sacrifice. Oh, you, you know why they spend so much time talking about incest? Why do you think they did half of a chapter on incest? Because it was common. It was very common. Guess what? It still is common. All right? Well, child sacrifice, so thankfully we don't have that anymore. Only a million in our nation in the last year sacrificed on the altar of convenience. Okay? Bestiality, I've actually counseled people that struggled with it. All right? Mediums, talk to people that have gone to mediums as psychics. Cursing parents, it's kind of thrown in. (laughs) 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 So we can't say those things are okay. And, and really, if you, if you write off one, you have to write off the other. Uh, in the context of this, some people argue, well, this only applies because it has to do with uh, people in pagan uh, religious practices. But that's not the context, okay? Because then you could say, well, then incest, as long as it's not done uh, while worshiping an idol, is okay. Are you prepared to do that, say that? No. Right? Okay. These, the, it's the practices as well if they're associated with religious, you know, and then who would want to practice something that embodies the worship of a, of a demon? Okay, that, is that your argument to say it's okay, that that practice is okay? <coughs> That's kind of uh, obs- uh, uh, obscene, really, in a sense. So <coughs> the reason the Bible um, discusses this is because these practices were very, very common. In fact, this section is introduced with this verse. It says, so do not be like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people in Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. And then it goes on to list all of these practices. 
which were common in Egypt and common in Canaan or Palestine. And guess what? They're common in the United States. That we're not to imitate the lifestyle of the culture we live in. And that's just the message of the Bible. All right? <clears throat> so some people say, well, the New Testament doesn't really address this issue. Um, and let me just read a couple of verses where I think the New Testament addresses it really straightforward. And, and the most difficult time I have in, in discussing this subject is that the Bible is really clear on this one. There's a lot of things that are somewhat obscure in Scripture. Um, but this one is not one of them. <laughs> and it takes, it takes a, a really a lot of work to make it sound obscure because the words are very clear. <laughs> and let's just jump through these hopefully quickly. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's pastoring a church in Ephesus, which was a Roman city um, and was made up of, of mostly Gentiles. Now, this is why uh, Jesus didn't mention it specifically, but boy, Paul sure did, because Paul ministered to who? The Gentiles, okay? And in the Gentile culture, homosexuality was not only accepted, it was celebrated in every possible form you could imagine, all right? <clears throat> and so he's writing to a pastor, Timothy, of a church, saying, this is, this is how you deal with this situation, because Timothy so how do we deal with these, these guys that are having sex with guys and women having sex with women and male prostitutes, and is it just okay? And he's like, the law, here is specifically referring to the Old Testament moral code given to us through uh, Moses and, and held sacred by Jesus, is for people who are sexually immoral. I mean, they need to hear this stuff, is what he's saying. And he lists some examples. Or those who practice homosexuality, specifically. And he includes slave traders, liars, promise breakers, and who do anything that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Some Christians misunderstand the gospel. The good news is saying that these, the laws of the old covenant no longer apply because Jesus died on the cross and we can do whatever we want. No, Paul says the good news says that that law now speaks to those people who are practicing these unwholesome behaviors because they're destructive. And the good news actually gives us, empowers us uh, 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 to walk out of those lifestyles. Does that make sense? All right. <clears throat> if you remove, again, if you remove one of these behaviors, then you need to remove all of them. And if you're going to say it's okay to practice homosexuality, then all sexual immorality is okay, as well as slave traders. So people, if you just, from a logical point of view, if you want to use this, uh, this verse to say that the Bible no longer uh, uh, restricts homosexual behavior, then you should be equally protesting and advocating the reinstitution of slavery. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, you get the point. As in Egypt and in Canaan, in the Old Testament, the Greek and Roman cultures openly accepted homosexuality. And the gospel is presented, this is it, the gospel is presented as an alternate lifestyle. And listen, it transformed the world because in the midst of a culture that was rampant with every form of sexuality, the church said there's a different way. There's a better way. There's a better way. And people were drawn to that. They're just like, really? 
There's a better way. People torn and ripped and uh, uh, scarred by abuse and, and, and inappropriate relationship, finding out there's a, there's a better way. And that's why eventually, and it took a thousand, uh, really over a thousand years, uh, really almost 1,500 years, uh, to transform culture that it generally accepted the Christian's point of view in, in the area of sexuality, never perfectly. But here again, in Romans <coughs> chapter 1, Paul's addressing this issue from a more philosophical or big picture view, and he's talking about the fall of mankind to kind of give Christians in Rome, the capital of the secular uh, empire, and certainly uh, uh, a Gentile worldview, says this is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Everybody say desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. <sighs> Do you really need to learn Greek to understand what that means? <clears throat> well, you can learn Greek, and you know what it means? It means just the way it says it there. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationship with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And he goes on and talks about other sins and other ways that uh, mankind uh, fell from our relationship, our original uh, interaction with God, and, be, and the society decayed. But here it's interesting that neither of the terms, uh, particular words that people arguing uh, whether or not the Bible addresses homosexuality, neither of those specific words are used in this, in this text. Paul doesn't use the word homosexual. He describes the act. Just to be really clear, right? right? And then he not only describes the act, he not only mentions the act, right? What else does he mention here? First row's not allowed to answer. <laughs> okay, so he addresses the act. What else does he address? The underlined word. The desire. Okay. So guess what? I hate to be so straightforward uh, in being straight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want to be straightforward. I mean, don't you want to be straightforward? Some people, you know, I wish the Bible was more clear. And then where the Bible's clear, they don't want it to be clear. The Bible's really clear here. The desire is wrong. Just like if I see a woman, and I'm a man, and I'm sexually attracted to that woman that's not my wife, and I lust for her, that lust, Jesus said, that's adultery. Right? If I look, if I am a, if I struggle with same gender, same sex attraction, and I look at a man and lust for them, that's equally sinful to lust. It doesn't make any difference, right? So both the desire, the Bible clearly says, both the desire, the lust, as well as the actions are contrary to God's design, all right? Um, <clears throat> and the result is... Uh, uh, that uh, 
we harm ourselves, we harm society. Okay, one more place. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Don't be fooled in this area. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols. It doesn't say while worshiping idols. It says sexual sin, worshiping idols, committing adultery, our male prostitutes, this is uh, one word, uh, this is a play, and, or practice homosexuality. In this text, he uses two, the two words that describe uh, to, uh, homosexual behavior in uh, 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 male prostitutes and those who practice homosexuality. And then he lumps in or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusers or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he comes in with this point. And this is the beauty of Scripture. He says, some of you were once like that, or some of us were once like that. Like what? Like every one of those. So in the church, in Corinth, that Paul was writing, it's like some of you were homosexuals. We're past tense. We're thieves. We're drunkards. We're abusers. Okay? The gospel... uh, presents a way out. And then he actually tells what the way out. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so he tells us how to get free from all of those behaviors, whether it's the sinful desires within us or the sinful behaviors that we, uh, our life is filled with, when we call upon Jesus and we allow Jesus to fill us with His Spirit, and then the sanctifying process of God's Holy Spirit transforming our inner person that then eventually transforms our outer behavior. That's the way of freedom. That's salvation, okay? And sanctification. That's the gospel, and it's available to anybody who calls. Final thing that some people say, hey, listen, I can do whatever I want with my body. And you know what? I 100% and totally agree. That's, that's really the issue at hand, okay? But if you, can, if you keep possession of your body, then that means you're not God's, right? You're basically saying, hey, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to define my own morality. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what is presented to each man, woman, and child. You get to choose, <clears throat> but there's a consequence to that choice. Paul explains this also in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Because sexual immorality in every form as described in the Old Testament and uh, and the Jewish uh, 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 moral code, sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? and was given to you by God. Here, now underline this. You do not belong to yourself. Well, you know what? That is a contrary message in our culture. All right? It's, it's bad enough to, to say, hey, uh, sexual behavior is, uh, is not acceptable in God's eye, but let's just say, hey, listen, you know that body that you're living in? That's not yours you're going to have to give account. Who are you to say that? I didn't make it up. Right? Uh, 
You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. What was the price God paid for your body? The body of Jesus. The body of Jesus. Body for body. Jesus' body was broken, pierced, crucified, died. The only one perfect, the only one who never looked at a woman and lusted for them, the only one who never sinned, the Son of God who took upon Himself humanity in our place. His body was broken, and He died as payment for you, right? Payment for your body. But you have the choice whether or not you accept that transaction. And if someone chooses to not accept that transaction, you know what? God respects that choice, and so should we. God, God's going to say, you know, to the people who say, God, I don't want anything to do with you, God's going to respect that and say, you don't have anything to do with me for eternity. And then they're going to experience uneternity without any of God. And God is everything that's good. All right? And so we call that eternity without God hell because it's the absence of everything good. And we get to choose now if we're going to align ourselves with God's goodness by how we make choices like our sexual behavior. And maybe we struggle with desires that are, not, are inappropriate. Hey, welcome to the human race. That's why the Holy Spirit is given to, to empower us. It's not going to change in a minute. It may, not change, it may take years. You may struggle with some things your whole life. But God will set you free. <laughs> really. That's the hope. That's our hope. It's in the resurrection. So it's in the context. This is my finishing point. In the context of sexuality, our identity is revealed. And isn't that interesting? This is, this is what the whole argument's about. But it's who I am. It's, I was born this way. It's my identity. How can you deny who I am? And the Bible actually affirms that our sexuality and our sexual practice, our sexual desires, actually indicate who we are. Speaks to our identity. But the question is better asked, rather than who am I or who are you, is whose are you? Who owns you? And if you can take that question of who you are and say, whose am I? Who do I belong to? That will put you on the path of finding and empowering you to live the way God intended you to live. And that's free from every destructive behavior and desire. There's freedom available through calling on the name of Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word and uh, for having answers for things that are uh, facing us in our struggles as Christians in this day and age. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. I pray that you'd help us understand this issue and be able to communicate in a loving, caring way uh, your intention and your word to our communities, to our friends, to our family members, regardless of where they stand on it. Father, help us be lights uh, that, that shine a, the, the path to freedom, Lord, and not just 
hammers that pound people down. Father, I pray that uh, all of us would find freedom from whatever iniquity that we struggle with because you offer freedom for everyone who calls on your name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.